you have your Bible, go ahead and open to Acts 17. That's where we'll be as we continue our story that we've been trekking along through throughout this, throughout this year. One of the, uh, the big terms that is buzzing around in our society right now is the term fake news. Who's heard of that? Good. Who's shared fake news? Okay. Probably all of us at some point, whether we want to admit it or not, probably all of us have shared some type of fake news. And the problem is, fake news always sounds so good, right? It always sounds so right and so accurate that it must, I mean, if it's on the internet, it's got to be true, right? I mean, otherwise it wouldn't be there. I mean, Surely nobody would put wrong stuff on the internet on purpose, right? But what we have found out is that it's all over the place. There is fake news everywhere. Everywhere. And it doesn't matter. Where it's not just politics. you got fake news about schools and about churches and communities and people. And, and just it's, it's absolutely it's absolutely everywhere, okay? And if you are like me, then there's probably been some point in your life where you have, have, have heard something, maybe read something and thought, you know what, that makes sense to me, and then you said it, or you wrote it, or maybe you shared it in some type of post or, or social media only to have someone else say, hey, wait a minute, that's not accurate, okay? Now then... The comments section on social media is always very loving and generous. And they're always very kind and willing to correct with love and generosity, right? No, we know that not to be true. Okay, I remember the first time I shared something on social media that was fake. And man, they, I was eaten alive. I thought, okay, I've got to do a better job at checking my sources. Which, that's true, right? That's a good point because when you say something without checking it out, and especially if it's gone to a broad audience, you know, that's, that's like nerve-wracking. It's a little, and it can be a little bit embarrassing, right? And so there's this, this pressure, at least, and, and it's a good pressure, because we want the things that we say to be accurate, do we not? Now then, with a lot of things, you know, fake news contains some truth, otherwise we wouldn't buy into any of it, right? So there's got to be some grain of it that's true, but what is required of us is before we share something, say something, we have to do our due diligence and research it, right? We have to make sure it is, it is accurate. You know, uh, Harvard, I believe it's Harvard Business Review, puts out some tips for uh, how you can spot these things. You know, they talk about look at the, you know, the publisher's web address, you know, uh, things like that. Go to factcheck.org. You know, there are things like that that you can do to make sure things are accurate before you, you share a story. Uh, because it's just not fun when you share something and then find out that it's not. You know, so we want to make, sure we, we make sure we get that right. And it's really not great when you hear somebody share something who is in the position that I stand in on a weekly basis, right? 
Now then, there are people, and, and, and I'll just go ahead and put this out there right now. I have said things in my career as a minister that are absolutely wrong. And I know that's hard for you to believe, right? I know, and thank you for your kind laughter. You know, there are things that I have said that are not right. They're not accurate. And, and fortunately, most church members that have noticed those things have come up to me and said, hey, you know, you might want to check that out again, okay? But there is the, and I, you know, I think there's a difference between being sincerely mistaken and then just sharing something without kind of checking things out. But we have to make sure that the things that we talk about, the things that we say, the things that we share, the things that we teach, that we can go to a source and we can say, here's what this is about. Here's where this came from. Here is, here is where I got this from. And so today, as we come to Acts chapter 17, Paul and Silas are going to encounter a group of people that did just that. They were known, in fact, they had this reputation for searching things out and making sure they were true before they just retweeted everything that Paul and Silas said. They searched the scriptures every single day. But before we get there, let's rewind to the last couple of weeks because we have just spent some incredibly intense time looking at chapter 16 where some really crazy stuff happened. You remember that? Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy, they go, to, they go to Philippi and Paul and Silas are preaching and they free the demon-possessed girl and the, the owners of that girl drag Paul and Silas before the magistrates and they're arrested and uh, beaten without a trial even though they're both Roman citizens and just creates this huge mess. And then finally, you know, they you know, they, they secure their release after this, this midnight baptism of the jailer. And then they don't immediately leave town, which is, you know, crazy because why wouldn't you? If a place is that bent on getting you to leave, you know, most of us would leave town, but Paul didn't. He stayed just a little bit longer to encourage, to encourage the church. And I imagine also his willingness to stay showed the powers that be that, hey, look, you need to treat our people fairly. You need to watch over them. You need to take care of them uh, the way you did not do that for us. So what happens is Paul and Silas, they go back to Lydia's house where likely the church is meeting, the, the church there in Philippi. They go back to Lydia's house and it says that they encouraged the brothers and sisters there and then, after enduring this horrendous beating with rods and a night in jail, Paul and Silas begin making their way a hundred miles kind of west-southwest to another Roman colony. In fact, it's kind, of the, the, uh, it's kind of one of the crown jewels of the Roman Empire out where they are. They come to this town, they come to this town called Thessalonica. And of course, we have two letters that Paul writes to the church there, First and Second Thessalonians. So let's begin, uh, let's begin reading together. Begin reading together in, uh, in chapter 17. And I'll just uh, I'll make some comments along the way. After they passed through Amphipolis, 
Amphipolis, wow, I can't say that at all, and that word in Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As usual, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, reasoned with them from the Scripture, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, including a large number of God-fearing Greeks as well as a number of the leading women. So Paul doesn't waste any time. He gets here to Thessalonica, and he does his usual thing. He tries to find a synagogue where Jews are gathering, and he goes there, and for three weeks, three Sabbath days, he stands up and he begins explaining to them about Jesus, that the Messiah had to suffer, would be raised from the dead, that he is God's son, that he's the, the way, the truth, the life. He's all of these things that we've heard about. He is the one, and he is the one that will change your life forever. And it says that some of the people came to, to believe. Some very important people come to believe. But then watch what happens in verse 5. But the Jews became jealous, and they brought together some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. Attacking Jason's house, they searched for them to bring them out to the public assembly. Now then, watch this. When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city officials shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too, and Jason has welcomed them. They're all acting contrary to Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, Jesus. The crowd of the city officials who heard these things were upset, and after taking a security bond from Jason and the others, they released them. Now then, this Jason sounds like a very upstanding guy. Okay, I mean, he just, he just does. He, is, uh, he becomes a believer, and he welcomes Paul and Silas, and not only that, he welcomes this message. Okay, he welcomes the message that Jesus is the Messiah. Welcomes them. But then... Some of the Jews get mad, and did you notice what it says? They brought them, they brought them before the city officials, saying, These men, Paul and Silas, they're the ones who are turning the world upside down, meaning that rumor has already spread. Something, somehow, some way, the message from these other places, from Philippi and other places, has made its way west, almost as if it's becoming a forerunner to Paul and Silas getting there. And they're saying, these people who are turning the world upside down, who are challenging the customs and the beliefs and the practices that we have, they are now here. And we can't let this stand. They are acting contrary to Caesar's decrees. Saying there's another king, and that other king is Jesus. Now then, that is a, a very serious charge. Okay? Because the, the, the powers at B are who? The Romans. Okay? Who's the most powerful person in the world during this time? The Roman emperor. 
Okay? And the Roman emperor is king, but he's also viewed as what? Lord. Jesus is Lord is a saying that was taken from the Romans. The saying was originally, Caesar is Lord. The Christians say Jesus is Lord. The Christians say Jesus is King. Okay, And so for Paul and Silas to say that there is another king is a very serious offense in the Roman Empire. Because back in A.D. 16, Emperor Tiberius had issued a decree banning banning anybody, anybody from saying that there's another king coming or that there's another kingdom coming. Okay, so there's very serious charges that are being laid against these guys. And so what they do is they attack Jason, they grab up him, they grab up some other people, and, and they arrest them, and then, you know, they finally, they, they, release, them on, they release them on bond. Watch what happens in verse 10. As soon as it was night, the brothers and sisters sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. Upon arrival, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. And then notice verse 11. The people here were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica since they received the word with eagerness and they examined the scriptures daily to see if those things were so. Consequently, many of them believed, including a number of prominent Greek women as well as men, but when the Jews from Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul at Berea, they came there too, agitating and upsetting the crowds. Then the brothers and sisters immediately sent Paul away to go to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed there. Those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving instructions for Silas and Timothy to come to him as quickly as possible, they departed. So, the same thing happens. Okay? They, they, they shuttle off down to Berea, which is a little bit further to the west and to the south. They get to Berea, they go to the synagogue, they start talking about Jesus. And then you have the Bereans there that they, they receive the word. And we're going to come back to that in just a second. But then the people from Thessalonica who are upset and who are claimed that these are the guys who are turning the world upside down, they show up in Berea and start causing more trouble for Paul and Silas. And it's like it happens to them time and time and time and time again. And, you know, when I read these stories, I have to think, what faith those guys had to have to keep doing that, right? You know, because what do they say the definition of crazy is? You keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, maybe expecting some different results. I don't know if this is the results they expected or if they were expecting something great to happen, but whatever it was, they didn't let it stop them. They would go, they would preach, they would talk about Jesus, they would, would, would start a church oftentimes. They would encourage the people, and then it's like they would get chased out of town or beaten and almost lose their lives. That's how much Jesus meant to these guys. 
That's how important this, this message was, that they get it out, that they're willing to endure all of these things. Now, the Bereans are, are great. They don't want anything bad to happen to Paul and Silas, so they, they take them down to the coast, and it says that they personally escort him all the way down to Athens to make sure that he's safe there, that he arrives and, and no harm comes to him. And, they, and, and so they go to head back. Paul tells them, hey, as soon as it's possible, send Silas, send Timothy, send them down here to me. But this people, this, this group known as the Bereans, they have a, a great reputation because they didn't just accept everything that Paul said, right? And it's easy to do. It's easy to, to hear somebody say something and it sound really, really good and just accept it at face value. But as we've talked about, you and I both know that in, in, in our day and age, there's a lot of information floating around out there. And while a lot of it sounds really good, a lot of it is really not that accurate. Right? And so what the Bereans did is they were glad that Paul and Silas were there. They were glad to, to hear the message. It says they received it with, with eagerness, but they didn't just stop there. It wasn't like, man, this news is great. They were like, hey, this is great. Let's, let's, let's dig into this. Let's really see if, if what you're saying is true. N.T. Wright says that they are prepared to listen carefully and in generous spirit to what Paul was saying and work through the Scriptures to see if what he said fit the text. They were willing to do that work. They were willing to, to, to dig in and, and, and see if what they're saying is accurate. They didn't take Paul and Silas at face value. They were determined to search it out and see if it was accurate. Now, then we're going to circle back to this to this, this verse in a couple of weeks. But one of the takeaways for us is as followers of Christ, as people of the Word, we must be like the Bereans. Right? We must be like the Bereans. Okay? And so every now and then you'll hear uh, churches or you'll hear a, a, a school uh, known as a Berean church. Like we've got a Berean Baptist church right down the road here. And the idea is, when you see that, is that we value the Word. We, we search things out. Uh, my, uh, where I did my undergraduate uh, work, they put out a Bible study series every year, and it's called the Berean Bible Study Series. And the idea is that we spend time, we dig in, we see if what people say is actually actually here okay and so I had this great point that I wanted to make this morning and it's really really good it's really profound okay but the more I got to thinking about it the more I realized that it didn't exactly fit with this so I'm going to give it to you anyway but before I give you that one I'm going to give you this one and it's simply this that we must be like the Bereans don't assume something is true Search until you know it for yourself. Does that make sense? What that means is you have an obligation. You have an obligation. I have an obligation. You have an obligation 
to search things out and see if they're true for yourself, right? Don't just assume that everything that I say from here is true. Make sense? So, that means as followers of Christ, what? We got to do some work, right? We got to study, okay? We have to open our Bibles up. We have to dig in, okay? Now then, you know, I love the phone Bible apps. Those are great, okay? But they're really hard to do, really do study with, okay? And so, keep using it because I use mine all the time, okay? I read it. Uh, uh, if I'm just, you know, sit down, I got a break, I want to look a scripture up or something comes to mind, you know, I go to it and it's great, but... If we're really going to search things out, we've got to get in, we've got to dig, we've got to do some, some research, okay? So don't just trust everything that I say. Take what I say and go back to the Word and see if what I say matches this. Does that make sense? And that goes not just for me, that's for all of us who talk. That's for all of us who teach. Okay, men and women alike is for those who stand up here and lead communion, who read scripture and make comments. Okay, we have to make sure that we're not just putting our own stuff out there. Okay, we have to search it out. Okay, and if what we say lines up with what has been given to us, yeah, that's good stuff to spit out. Okay, but if it's not, we got to get rid of it. We have to be like the Bereans who search those scriptures every single day. Search them every single day. There's a guy by the name of Wayne Cordero. And he says, the more you continue to read scripture, the more you begin to think as he thinks and act as he acts. And that's how, over time, you gain the wisdom of the ages. Does that make sense? The more, the more we spend time in God's Word, the more we learn about Christ, right? The more that will begin to shape us. Okay, the more we learn about Christ, the more that it begins to shape us. The more we spend time in the Word, the more we learn about ourselves and, and who we are supposed to be, who God created us to be, and it's in that that we gain, we gain this wisdom. And so then that leads me to my other point that I wanted to give you initially and it's this is that the spirit of God uses the word of God to shape us like the son of God so that we can serve the people of God does that make sense now, I know that's a mouthful but think about that the spirit of God uses the word of God to shape us like the son of God so that we can serve the people of God. Does that make sense? But in order for that to happen, we have to make sure that we are spending time in, in God's Word, right? Now then, we have to be careful there because unfortunately, there are a lot of believers there are a lot of believers that have, have elevated to the Bible to the point where it's kind of like the Bible is the fourth person of the Trinity. Okay, and, and, and people have made the Bible into, 
into an idol. But remember what Jesus said. He said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. What the word is, is not something to be worshipped. Does that make sense? We don't worship the Bible. We read the Bible to learn about the one who should be worshipped. Does that make sense? Okay, good. Just want to make sure. Make sure we're on the same page there. Good. Because Jesus said, all authority is His. Okay? And it's in the Word that we learn about Jesus. And it's our reading of the Word that shows us how to live life. Shows us what it means to be like Christ. Shows us what it means to be a a Christ-centered community. So now then, what I want to do is I want to give us, very quickly, four tips for studying God's Word. Okay, four tips for studying God's Word. Now then, I got these from a guy named Buddy Bell about ten years ago. He preaches at, uh, at Landmark Church of Christ over in Montgomery. And uh, they're, they're really, really good. And later on, I would recognize them uh, uh, as, as something older something known as as Lectio Divina, but here they are right here. Read Scripture slowly, reflect and meditate, respond to what you read, and then rest in God's Word. And I'll put these back up here, and I'm going to click through each one of these at the same time. But as I got to, to reading those, I realized, okay, this sounds an awful lot like, like something else. It sounds like this Lectio Divina. And Lectio Divina, you've heard me mention it before, it's a Latin word, and it means sacred readings, or divine readings, or or holy readings. And it is a a practice of Scripture that has been used for for over a thousand years. It was originally practiced by monks who spent a large portion of their day praying and reading Scripture. And while they were reading, they noticed that at times, Individual words or phrases seem to leap off the page with special, special and, and personal importance. Have you ever noticed that? That when you read Scripture, there's a word or a phrase that sort of sticks and it, and it jumps out. And, and, and that's important. And we're to pay attention to that, okay? So here they are kind of combined, combined together. Number one, read Scripture slowly and that's the lectio part of it okay that's the reading part of it okay in order to know about god in order to know about jesus to know about the holy spirit to know about the church what do we have to do we have to read okay and so as you're reading scripture ask god what he wants to show you okay that's i mean that's just a great way as you sit down with your quiet time or whatever, just as you get ready to begin, okay, God, what do you want to show me? What do you want to reveal to me through your word? And then what I suggest and what they suggest for Lectio Divina is take short passages and read them through three times, okay? And honestly, I think one of the best ways to do that is to read it, to read it out loud. And as you're doing that, Take note of specific words or phrases. You know, look for for patterns, look for repetitions, okay? And and highlight or underline or 
if you have a, a notebook or a journaling Bible, kind of kind of write those things down. And so this is really a really great way to study Scripture. Okay, uh, and and one of the things that I like to do is I like to take a, a if a, there's a specific verse that jumps out to me, I like to take it and read it out loud several times, but each time I read it, I put a different inflection on the words. Does that make sense? For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. Does that make sense? And you know, what I found out is that I started understanding the word better. Imagine that. I started having deeper thoughts and and better interpretation of it. So number one, Read Scripture slowly. Number two, reflect and meditate. Or, and what this is, is this, is this is thinking about what you have read. Okay, It's one thing to, to read a Scripture and then just move on with your day. Right? Has anybody ever done that? I have. I've read stuff lots of times, and then five minutes later, I couldn't tell you what I read. Okay? Because I was in a hurry, because I wasn't slowing down. I wasn't taking the time. Okay, but to truly gain from, 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 from study the Bible, we have to take the time to think through what we've read, and then we have to allow Scripture to speak to us. That's very, very, very important, right? Unfortunately, a lot of times what we do is we have an idea about something, that we like or that we want to believe and we go to Scripture looking for support of what we believe, right? Okay, that's not standing under the Word of God. That's standing on top of the Word of God. Okay, we have to stand under the Word. Okay, and if what we believe doesn't match what God says, then guess what? we got to change what we believe, right? I mean, you don't have to, but I would highly recommend that. Okay, so let Scripture... Let it speak to you. And you know what else I found as I got older? The Bible doesn't say some things that I used to think it said. Did you know that? That was news to me. But when I slowed down, I was like, huh. It doesn't say cleanliness is next to godliness. That's not in there. You know, there's a whole host of things like that. But when you slow it down and you let God speak to you, it is amazing the things that you discover that are in the Bible that you never knew were there. Okay? Because you know what our minds do? They fill in the gaps for us, don't they? They're like, oh, yeah, I got this. We can move on to the next thing. Okay? All right, good. And then uh, next, and you've heard me talk about this a lot, and this one's really important. Use your imagination. Use your imagination as you enter the Word. Imagine, like especially if you're reading, well, well, like what we're reading here in Acts. Imagine the context. Imagine the smells. Imagine the sounds and the clothes and all of those things. Imagine what it must have been like to be in Paul's shoes. Imagine what it must have been like to be a Berean Christian who hears these words for the first time. Use your imagination. All right, number three. And this is respond to what you read. And this is simply 
talking to God about what you are feeling. Okay? Because I, I think, and I think that you, you will agree with this, that when we really take the time to read Scripture, you know, it can, it can bring up some feelings within us, right? You know, it can, it can challenge us. It can encourage us. It can convict us. We don't need to ignore those things. Okay? So the oratio is the response to what we've read. Okay? And that's taking, okay, God, I, I read this. I've not, been, I've not been loving my neighbor. As a matter of fact, I've been kind of hateful to him in some of the things I've said or I've done or I've posted or, or, or whatever it might be. And I need your forgiveness. I need your help. I need you to help me do better. Praying it back, responding to God. And then another great thing to do is to pray the Scripture back to God, okay? Uh, one of the, the great ways of doing this is to go through the Psalms, okay? And if you'll remember, the prayer book of the church is what book? It's the Psalms. You have 150 prayers right there. If you ever have struggles with prayers and don't know what to pray, go to the Psalms. You've got 150 different options how to pray. And, 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 you know, a lot of times you'll hear as we've read through the Psalms for over three years during our call to worship, have you noticed that a lot of the people that read, they say, I'm just going to, I'm just going to offer this as my prayer this morning. Have you noticed that? That's because they recognize that's what this is. These are prayers and we pray these back to God. And, you know, they give language to us when we don't often have language. And the Psalms, you've heard me say this a hundred times, the Psalms are brutally honest. Okay? They are, if something is wrong, they're not afraid to tell God something's wrong. Okay? If something's wrong, they're not afraid to complain to God. There is a whole section of complaint Psalms. Okay? You have trouble with your anger and with your hate. Guess what? The people who wrote the Psalms did too. They talk about the people they hate. They say some pretty hard stuff like crush babies' heads with rocks. And we wonder, what do we do with that? The reason that is in there is because that is taking their, they were taking their anger and giving it to God instead of acting on it. They're giving their hatred to God instead of giving it to the people who they felt deserved it. Does that make sense? Man, do we not need that practice more in our society today? There is way too much hate out there. We need to read those. They're called imprecatory psalms. When you get angry and you're tempted to hate somebody or you're tempted to seek vengeance, go read the imprecatory psalms and take whatever it is, that anger, that hatred, that frustration, and instead of giving it to the person or the group of people, give it to God. Okay? And you've heard me say this before. Uh, my friend Eric Jones told me this a long time ago. He said, God's got a big shoulder. You know, he can take it. Okay? So we have to not just read the Word, not just meditate on it. We have to respond to the Word as well. Does that make sense? Good. And then finally, number four. 
Rest in God's word. Contemplatio. After you read, after you have meditated, after you have responded to God, be silent before God. Just rest in His love and His embrace. Know that God loves you. Know know that He cares for you. Then take it with you. Don't just go through the process and leave it where you were sitting. Take it with you and let it be your guide throughout the day. Um, I heard someone say recently, I, I think it was Friday at men's lunch, Tom was talking about the difference it makes when you, you wake up and you just, you know, you're behind and you're rushed and you, you know, you just sort of feel out of sorts all day. And then he talked about how he, he got up earlier and spent time praying and spent time reading and it just sort of reframed his focus for the rest of the day. You know, what a great practice. What a great practice to get into. And this one here, this, this contemplatio or, or resting in God's Word, this is one of the most essential aspects for building a growing relationship with God. Many people testify that the end of a Lectio Divina session, that they have a feeling of closeness and intimacy with the Lord. One of the most valuable things we can do with this feeling is just to relax, embrace it, and just be with God. So there they are right there. There they are, in case you missed them as we went through the first time. Four tips, and if I remember to, I'll try to remember to post these in the Cornerstone page so that, uh, so that you, can, you can have them. Read Scripture slowly. Reflect and meditate on what you've read. Respond to what you've read. And then finally, rest in God's Word. You see, and that sort of circles us back around to that second point. That the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to shape us. There you go. To shape us like the Son of God so that we can serve the people of God. You see, and I think that, that, that last line is, is very, very, very important. Because I think there are a lot of people who get behind those first three things. But they don't follow through on the rest of it. The serving the people of God. And if we want to know what it looks like to serve people, we have to look at our God who has served us. We have to look at our example of Jesus who is known as the suffering servant who gave up his life for us, who, who sacrificed so that we can know God, so that we can be a part of the kingdom of heaven. And our job as kingdom citizens is to invite others in, right? Now then, I'm not telling you to turn into a Bible scholar but I do think it is very important 
for us to spend time studying God's Word. To spend time learning about Jesus. Right? Don't be just a read your Bible on Sunday or Sunday and Wednesday. We need to spend time in it as often as we can. Does that make sense? I know we got work schedules and we got crazy things going on. But we got to make time for this. Because it's amazing, as, as Tom reminded us at lunch, it's amazing how much it sort of reframes your day when you take the time to spend some time with God. Let's pray together.